we're a half. We're halfway. <laughs> yeah, we you are. are. Welcome to Halfway History, where we need to come up with a better tagline. I'm Jonathan. Why did you just wiggle your arm like a sailor? Because <laughs> I was doing an intro. Uh-huh. We suck at this. <laughs> I know. Oh, God. All right. <clears throat> Try it again without the gesticulation. No one can see that. <laughs> I know, and it made me laugh. <laughs> Welcome to Halfwit History. I'm Jonathan. And I'm Kylie. This is a podcast. This is a podcast. Where we talk about what's happening this upcoming week in history. Or try to. <laughs> Well, that's you. <laughs> yeah. This is our first podcast ever. We've been longtime fans of podcasts and decided it was time to try it for ourselves. So please be gentle. Yeah. We are joined by our uh, our third co-host, Bilbo Baggins. He's our puppy. Who's currently yawning like a velociraptor over there. Yeah, he's got a big mouth. He's a corgi beagle mix, and he's giving us the stink eye right now. He's very upset that we have interrupted his nap to talk about him. Yep, go back to sleep, Bilbo Baggins. <laughs> um, so... I guess we should probably just jump right into it. Works for me? You want yeah. to go first? Um, well, what what date is your first thing? June 3rd. Looks like you win. Oh, darn. Okay. <clears throat> You might want to cut the throat clearing there. I have a feeling it's going to happen a lot. <laughs> We're doing it live. We're doing it raw. Oh, no. Oh, no. Okay, well, I have, I, you know, in retrospect, I should have looked up how to pronounce this dude's name. <laughs> Oops. Okay, so, on June 3rd in 1492, Martin Behaim, B-E-H-A-I-M, it's my, my best guess, uh, presented the world's first surviving globe. Um, the, he was a German geographer, um, and he called his terrestrial globe the Erdapfel, <laughs> which uh, roughly translates to Earth Apple. <laughs> My question is, how do you make a non-terrestrial globe? Celestial globe of the heavens. That's not a globe anymore. Yeah, it is. Well, that's that's what they make. Um, a globe of the heavens is called a celestial globe. They make like a a three D not three D oh. model. <laughs> is it just but the stars it's a, on the it's globe? A, yeah, it's a globe of like the the hemis the um words, <laughs> the stars and like the constellations and like the what what you can see from where you are essentially. Ah, I think it's mostly for like cartographers and like. Adventurers, that or kind of thing. Sailors? Yeah, yeah. Why would you say yeah, adventurers? Popeye. I don't know. How many adventurers do we have in real world, Kylie? <laughs> I don't know. I'm stuck in D&D land. Nope. <laughs> uh, anyway, um, so the first known mention of a globe is from Strad... Strad... Strado? Strabo? Strabo. There we go. That's a B. No, it's not. 
Yes, it is. Okay. <laughs> Strabo. <laughs> I just forgot which way the little bump on a bee goes, so that's fun. Um, Yikes. <laughs> and it describes the, um, which described the gro- globe of crates um, that was made in about 150 BC. Um, so that was the first reference, but the the one from 1492, the Erdopfel, the Erdopfel, I'm sorry, I'm really enjoying that word, was, uh, the is like the oldest known physical globe still in existence. Hmm. Um, it's currently kept in a darkened room at the Germanish, nope, German. Yeah, that's not a word. <laughs> I think it's supposed to be one of those things, Germanichas. Blech. It's German Aishas. German Aishas? National Museum in Nuremberg. Jesus. Why'd you yes. pick something with so many words that you I can't say? I didn't realize it when I was reading it in my head until I went to pronounce them out loud and realized I made a mistake. Which is really unfortunate because I think there's something else that has really hard words for me too. Good luck. Uh-huh. The oldest surviving, um, so the oldest surviving celestial globe sits atop the Farnese Atlas which um, carves in the, in the se- second century Roman Empire. Another globe, the Hunt Lennox globe, circa 1510, is thought to be the source of the phrase Hic sunt draconis, or here be dragons. That's important. Yes, it is. <laughs> um, so this the, the globe from 1510 is thought to be where that comes from, um, which I think is awesome. The Map Museum slash Archive, based out of um, the Boston Public Library, frequently tweets or instagrams one of the other images of interesting things like interesting maps or interesting parts of maps and a lot of the time you'll see the um here be dragons in latin on like the corner of one and a lot of them are from like the 16 and 16 and 1700s if anyone's interested in that it's just follow the Boston Public Library on Twitter. I am interested in that. <laughs> it's <And> really cool. <laughs> welcome podcast to Conspiracy Corner because I am personally convinced that dragons existed and this is something I didn't know about before and it only reaffirms my... This is why me. I picked it. Yep. <laughs> you know why now. So every time there's dragons, I will bring this up. Dragons existed. I. You know what? I'm down. So there is also a similarly sized uh, grapefruit-sized globe that was made from two halves of an ostrich egg, um, which was found in 2012 and is believed to date from 1504. Why is it grapefruit-sized when it's made out of an ostrich egg? Because my assumption would be that it's not the whole egg, that it's been, like, shaved and cut down to fit together and two ha- whatever. How about ostrich egg-sized? Well, I don't know. <laughs> Just what I wrote, because my assumption would be that it's no longer ostrich-egg-sized, but whatever. Um, It may be the oldest globe to show the New World. Um, And then in the 1800s, small pocket globes um, that were less than three inches round were status symbols for gentlemen and educated toys for rich children. Kids got their own little personal globe to play with. And I thought it was really exciting when my mom let me spin the old-ass globe that we had in our house. <laughs> Old-timey GPS, I see. <laughs> oh, yeah. It was the kind that had, like, the raised topography and stuff. Oh, that's so, kind of Like, cool. you'd find Everest, and you'd be like, I know where it is, because it was, like, the pointy part of the map. <laughs> Significantly um, less pointy with how many times young Kylie pointed it out. <laughs> probably. Um, <laughs> I probably didn't even actually know what it was, either. I was just like, oh, look, it's tall and pointy, and I'm gonna rub it. Um, that's... Hey. That's a phrase. <laughs> hey. Watch it, Buster. Um, so other, so a couple of other interesting um, 
globes still in existence. There is Eartha, which is currently the world's largest rotating globe. It is 41 feet in diameter. It's huge. It's the size of a freaking house. Um, and it's at the Delorum headquarters in Yarmouth, Maine. And I bring this up because I distinctly remember, I see you pursing your lips. Um, school, school field trips like every year to go and see Eartha. And I remember telling you about this the first time we drove up to Maine and you were like, I don't, what are you even talking about? I don't believe you. And then I'm wildly gesticulating out the window going, look, the giant globe, it's over here, as we drove past it. I wonder how many ostrich <laughs> eggs and or grapefruits that one is. A lot. You could Google it. Probably could. It's, it's at least three. It's at least three. It's at least three ostrich eggs. At least, yes. Um, there's also the Hitler globe which was known as the Führer Globe and was formerly named the Columbus Globe for state and industry leaders. Um, two, two editions existed during Hitler's lifetime, um, which were created during the mid-1930s on his orders. Um, the second one changed the name of Edsinia to Italian East Africa, like the country, or what was the country? Oh, okay. India, changed the name to Italian East Africa for some reason. Probably uh, fascism. These globes, uh, these globes were enormous in quotation marks and very costly. You know, I imagine it to be enormous, like um, our current administration uses huge. <laughs> um, according to the New York Times, the real Columbus globe was naturally the, nearly the size of a Volkswagen, and at the time more expensive. There several still exist, including three in Berlin. Um, one is at a Geographical Institute. One is at the oh no, Markish's Markish Markish. Mm. How do you pronounce that? I S C H that. Well, there's less lisp than what you're doing. Hey now, <laughs> don't mock me. Mark whatever. Mark Markish Markish's Markish's Markish's. Good enough. Museum, and the other at the Deutsche Historic. Museum. <clears throat> the latter has a Soviet bullet hole through Germany. <laughs> Fun fact. Um, one of the two in public collections in Munich um, has an American bullet hole through Germany. And then there are several in private hands inside and out of Germany. Um, and then there's a much smaller version of Hitler's Globe that was mocked by Charlie Chaplin in The Great Dictator, which was a film which was released in 1940. So, some people had some fun Making holes in the Fierce Globes. <laughs> Yikes. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, but yeah, I thought you'd get a kick out of the uh, Here Be Dragons part. Uh, definitely. They're real. Yeah, I know. We'll talk about this more later. <laughs> Hick, Sunt, or Draconis. Yes. Have to remember that. Yeah. Right next to Fusorda. What is that? Skyrim. Oh, God. Okay. Also, I'd like to bring up that I counted four times you made the same sailor motion you mocked me for uh, during that whole speech. because I was mocking you. <laughs> no, no, no. Yeah. So, uh, my next one is June 4th. You still beat me, but, but do you want me I, to switch off? <laughs> I would really prefer it if you switched off, yes. <laughs> we'll just do a, a motor back in history real quick. Alright, well, we're going to uh, time travel in this DeLorean up to June 7th before we go back. June 7th, 1955 was the release date of the $64,000 question. What was that? 
Uh, it was a game show that existed in the 1950s, and its format was that it had 17 questions, and each one started, each time you answered a question, it gave you it gave you a monetary prize, so starting from $1, and then every question you got right, your prize would double. And so I, kind of like Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, hypothetically. Very much like Who Wants to Be okay. a Millionaire. Um, actually, a lot of game shows are based on this, and oh. not too long ago, well, that's the $64,000 question used to be like a really common like colloquialism. Um, uh-huh. Not anymore. Like Our generation definitely wasn't a part of that. But I hear the phrase, that's the million-dollar question. Right, because we grew up yeah. with Who Wants to Be a Millionaire. Yeah. Before Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, the that's phrase was, what's the $64,000 question? Um, well, I mean, with inflation, it could be that a million dollars equals six. That's probably not even close to accurate. <laughs> it is about 600K. Oh, okay. Yep. All right. So, I mean, I wasn't that far off. Yeah, from back then to now, inflation was about 9.3 times. So, $64,000 in the 1950s is equivalent to 600000 now? About, yeah. It's a, it's a little less. It's like 500 point something thousand. That's still crazy. Yeah, it's That's a lot. That's still inflation, man. But anyways, <laughs> I put the kind of italics in my voice on doubling because when I was looking up what you actually won, I was like, wait, 64,000 is an awfully round number for something that's doubling. And they lie. Oh. Yeah, because uh, if you double uh, $1 up to 17 questions, you actually would get more than $64,000. Oh. After you got to the, well, the $512, because that's right before it turns into 1000 mm-hmm. when it would go to 1024 they reduce the $24 down to 1000 and then restart the doubling from there so that they get the nice easy numbers. Sneaky. Gypped. They were gypped. Sneaky, sneaky. Yep. So, and no one called them out on that? Because no. you would have. <laughs> if you were on that show, you'd have been like, hey now, where's my $24? Uh-huh. I definitely would have wanted that $24. Because that $24 amounted to almost $2,000 extra at the end. Yeah, I'd want that $24 too. Yeah, it's a lot in today's money. So Jesus. But anyways, this show was the first to be hosted by an actor whose name was Hal March, rather than a radio broadcaster, and was the only show to ever take the number one TV spot from I Love Lucy during its first year. Oh. So I Love Lucy was never overthrown as the first spot, except the year that uh, $64,000 question came out. Wow. Yeah. Um, one episode, this part you'll like with your libraries and archives. <laughs> um, one episode of the show is currently kept in the Library of Congress, featuring Ooh. Virgil Earp, the son of Virgil Earp, who was the deputy U.S. marshal back, I, th- I think it was the... I'm sure it's Earp. Earp. It might be Earp. It's, it's spelled Earp. <laughs> I think it's Earp. Yeah. Um, because but... that name sounds familiar once... You pronounce it differently. <laughs> Maybe. Um, but anyways, he, he his dad was the deputy U.S. marshal back in the, I think it was like early 1900s, mm-hmm. um, and his uncle was Wyatt Earp. Yeah, it's Earp. Wyatt Earp. <laughs> Wyatt Earp, who was the marshal of Tombstone, Arizona, yep. who took part in the famous gun gunfight yep. at the OK Corral. Yep. That's why I knew the name. That Yes, it is. It is Virgil. Yeah. Earp. Virgil Earp. And Wyatt Earp. Yep. 
and his son, also Virgil Earp, who was on the game show, but not a junior or a senior. That's interesting. Yep. So Why would you do that with your name? Why? Well, their middle name might have been different. Yeah, that that is true. I mean, my, right. my name is really close to my dad's name, but it's not the same, so I'm not a junior. Right, but, like, that wasn't, like... Your mom took two names she liked and shoved them together. It just happened to already be a real name. Yep. <laughs> it has nothing to do with the fact that your dad is named John. Speaking of immigrants. <laughs> anyway, wait, what? <laughs> just another interesting fact when I was watching that film from the Library of Congress, the other person who was on the episode was Elid, uh, Adelita Cajado, or Cajado, I forget. Um, but, uh, she dropped out before the $64,000 question. She did win the $32,000, uh, and she wanted to use it to visit her grandfather, who she hadn't seen since she came to America in 1946. Um, she was a Filipino, and, uh, she used that 32000 to go back and visit her grandfather. And what caught my attention is that we're in June of 1955. In six months, Rosa Parks would refuse to give up her seat on the bus be one of the starting points of the civil rights movement. So I thought it was kind of interesting to know that in this time period that was especially hard for African-Americans, but also life was hard as minority race and also as a woman still, that on a TV show, they had a immigrant minority woman on the show. So really I thought cool. that was kind of interesting. Yeah, that's really neat. And it was a show that won a lot of money. Yeah, <laughs> so. I purposely avoided the... Uh like, women's rights things that I saw when we were researching because I didn't want to spend, like, 30 minutes ranting. <laughs> yep. <laughs> <clears throat> Having recently completed a master's thesis on women's suffrage, <clears throat> I'm just going to avoid that topic. She can go I... on about that about as long as I can go on about dragons being real. <laughs> yep. <laughs> we're evenly matched. So, yeah, I thought it would be fun to, instead of explaining too much about the show, let's just play a game of the show, and oh, you no. get to be the contestant. Okay, this should be really bad. <laughs> All right, so in the real $64,000 question, you would be able to choose from one of 12 categories to play your entire game off of. For Let me guess, you just dictated what category I get. I did. Yeah, that sounds about right. <laughs> so, Virgil's category was the Wild West. Oh. The the guy whose oh, family no. is very... That seems, un... that seems like an unfair advantage. Uh-huh. <laughs> Just remember that. Um, and Adelita's story was uh, current events. Um, and for the sake of time, I've picked a category for you, and it's Broadway musicals. Oh, good. Are you ready? I'm suddenly less ready than I thought I'd be, but That's yes. right. <laughs> Your $1 question. Okay. What musical was based on the songs of the Swedish band Ab ABBA? Did you just say almost say ABBA? I almost said ABBA. <laughs> uh, Mamma Mia. Correct. One dollar for you. Yay. Dollar dollar billio. Yes. <laughs> Your two dollar question. The song I Dreamed a Dream is from what musical? Les Mis. Yes. <laughs> oh, wow. I had, a, I had a brain moment. I had to visualize it being sung mm -hmm. before I could spit the words out. Now you have your two dollars, which is approximately $20 in today's money. Yes! Do you want to drop out? No. You want to keep going? Yeah. Uh, after any point, you could drop out in oh, this okay. game. Oh, okay. Um, well, that's nice. Actually, wait. I lied. You can. You won't get anything if you drop out at this point. You have, oh, you have yeah. to reach certain milestones, You have to right? reach a certain okay. milestone. A lot like... That's what they do in Who Wants to Be a Millionaire. Who Wants, Who wants to Be a Millionaire. That's that one. Yep. 
All right, so your $4 question, what was the first Disney movie brought to Broadway? This was a little trickier. I have issues with this, because there was Roger and Hammerstein Cinderella, but there was also The Lion King. But there was all, so Roger and Hammerstein Cinderella, was that based on Disney's? No. What was the it first wasn't. Disney movie? All right. Oh, wait, I think it was Beauty and the Beast. Beauty and the Beast was before The Lion King. Lion King still running. What's really, what's really hard is thinking and trying to say things out loud as I think them. Yep. And I can't cheat. Nope. Crap. All right. It was either Beauty and the Beast or The Lion King, but I'm pretty sure Beauty and the Beast came before The Lion King. Yeah, it's got to be. Yeah, Beauty and the Beast. Yep, it was Beauty and the Beast. <sighs> what was the show based <laughs> on the band Frankie Valley in the Four Seasons? The fuck if I know. You should. <laughs> Are you sure? Yeah. <laughs> um, it was. It had to have been the one with like the the like dudes in the. What was it called? Jersey Boys. Yeah. Sixteen dollars. Who wrote the music to the musical The Newsies? Alan Menken. Yep. <laughs> Thirty-two dollars. You've you've listened you've seen me watch that enough to know that I know who wrote the music to that one. Uh huh. <laughs> Jeremy Jordan's my true love. Right after you. Yikes. <laughs> He's Bilbo, also we're moving out. Very married. <laughs> He's very married. <laughs> All right. So your thirty-two dollar question is: Music of the night and think of me are from what musical? Fan of the opera. Correct. Sixty-four dollars. If I Were a Rich Man and Sunrise Sunset are from what musical? If I Were a Rich Man. No. Not that one? That's that's not a musical. If I Were a Rich Man? That's the song from said musical. Is it? I haven't Babe. seen this musical. I thought that that was just a pop song. I don't think so. <laughs> yeah, because If I Were a Rich Girl is a song also. Right, but it it's it's based on that one. From I had no musical. idea. Yeah, um, dummy. Yeah, it's um. Oh, they did the 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 miscast. Um, Fiddler on the Roof. Yes. I don't remember who did it, but it was. I'm not convinced she wasn't playing the violin herself, but if she was, she was fucking good. So I'm not sure if she played it or not, but yes. And we'll decide if we bleep that swear later. Oh, I forgot. Sorry. <laughs> $128. The rain in Spain stays mainly in the plain is a line from... My Fair Lady. Yes. $256. Memory. All alone in the moonlight. I can smile at the old days. I was beautiful then. Memory. Ah, uh, cats. Yes. And your $512 question, which this is the amount that you'll be able to keep if you answer right, is Jesus Christ Superstar. <laughs> Superstar. <laughs> superstar. Superstar. You're a superstar. I am a superstar. <laughs> Jesus Christ Superstar. Evita and Starlight Express were composed by... Andrew Lloyd Webber, same guy who did Fan of the Opera. Yep. So, now you've hit your first plateau, so you get to keep your money. 
Um, and now we're going to move on to the $1,000 question, where things get a little different since oh, I watched no. the show. Okay. Name the actors who played Amadeus oh, no. Mozart and Antonio Soleri in the Broadway adaptation of Mozart and Soleri called Amadeus. <laughs> yes, this show was started diverting from oh, singular no. questions to multiple answer questions. Oh, no. Yeah, I said, oh, no, when I first heard them start rattling off these questions. Okay, wait, so it's one actor. No. Oh. The actors who played Mozart and oh. the actor who played Soleri. What the heck? You're going to be mad when I'm you remember. I'm probably going to be furious. Yeah. Are you freaking kidding me? Oh, my freaking God. Where do I find bootlegs of these? <laughs> I don't know. It's from, I think it's in, from like the early 80s, so you probably might be able to, oh but I God. don't know. Okay, so Ian McKellen was Amadeus, and Tim Curry was Solari. Yes. Wait, no, other way around. I have him for I'm, I'm a... Uh, okay, well, that makes a little bit more sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tim Curry as Amadeus makes a lot more sense yes. than Ian McKellen. Yes. All right, we're good. Okay, for your $2,000 question, Monty Python's Spamalot was primarily an adaptation of Monty Python's Holy Grail, but it also made sure to poke some fun at Broadway as well. Yes, What are did. four Broadway productions referenced in Spamalot? Well, now that you're making me name them. <laughs> All right, I think Lame is. Yep. All right. West Side Story. Yep. All right. For someone who's only seen snippets of the show, I'm not doing bad. <laughs> Fiddler on the Roof? Yep. Okay. One more. Want to drop a hint? Uh, One of them is by Sodenheim. Or whatever. What's his name? Soundheim? Soundheim? Yeah. Sodenheim? Yeah. <laughs> I'm not good at Broadway. You <laughs> I are. I know. Um, company. Yes. So on to the $4,000 question. Oh In The Producers, Max proposes to Leo that a flop could potentially make more money than a success. Oh, no. What are the five steps he proposes lead to the biggest successful flop? I'm going to tell you right now, I've never seen The Producers. Okay, we'll just we'll skip through it. <laughs> so, tell me though, tell me the answers. Step one: we find the worst play ever written. What was the worst play ever written? Oh, heck, if I know. Springtime for Hitler. Oh, all right, fair enough. Yep. <laughs> I'll give it to him. Step two: we hire the worst director in town. Step three: we raise two million dollars. One for me, one for you. There's a lot of little old ladies out there. Oh no. <laughs> Step four, we hire the worst actors in New York and open on Broadway. And before you can say it, step five, we close Broadway, take our two million, and go to Rio. <laughs> um, so basically, they're just going to scan the little old ladies out of their two million and not even bother to try and put on a show. Yeah, well, they, they put on a show. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. <laughs> You should definitely watch The Producers. I did not know that All you've right. never seen I've The never Producers. I've never seen The Producers. It's a musical making fun of musicals. Isn't Marilyn Monroe in that? Or am I thinking of something else? You're thinking of something different. The I movie version that. had Uma Thurman. That's it. I don't know why yeah. I thought her and Marilyn Monroe were the same. And it also <laughs> had... I feel like I'm... I feel like maybe I'm wrong on this one, but Nathan Lane. 
and okay. um, Matthew Broderick. That's okay. Yes, there's there's another older movie. So there's a movie. You know, I almost think there might be a really old version of the producers that has like Bing Crosby and like Marilyn Monroe or something in it. I could be wrong, but I have this picture in my head of two men in suits with uh, Marilyn Monroe and the word producers written over it. But I could be imagining something completely unrelated. I don't know. Because <laughs> <laughs> even when I was looking for questions, because I know the producers, it showed the playbill. But I don't know if the playbill was the movie pretending to be a playbill because they did a lot of that stuff. Or if that was actually, like, the when it opened on Broadway, it was Nathan Lane and Matthew Broderick, and then they just transformed it into a movie. Ah, okay. I I just pulled up, like, the cover, and I see what you mean. What is the show that I'm thinking of? I have no idea. <laughs> I don't know. Um, but yeah, you should... All right, well... We, we definitely need to watch The Producers, because it's made by Mel Brooks. Oh dear! <laughs> and it's it's a movie making fun. It's, it's a Broadway making fun of Broadway. Yeah. All right. All so right. at this point, you've hit the second plateau. If you were to answer those correctly, if I hadn't cheated, what? <laughs> That's a secret. Shh. Oh well, I'm pretty sure the fact that I got some stuff that I have no idea what I'm talking about is probably pretty evident by now. So at the second plateau, so you, you've gotten the $4,000 question right, so you're on to the $8,000 question. At this point, if you choose to drop out, you um, you get the $4,000 questions. If you had failed, which you did, on any of the 1000 to 4000 questions, you would automatically leave with your $512. All right. At this point, if you mess up, that what they would give you was not money, they would give you a consolation prize of a brand new Cadillac. hey It's a pretty I'll good consolation prize. I'll take a Cadillac. I'm down. Yeah. So, and also at this point, you would have hated this part, is um, at the $8,000 question, they put you in an isolation booth. So <laughs> oh, only, no. So the only thing you can hear is the voice of the host asking the questions. Oh, no. Oh, no, 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 no. Yep. A little claustrophobic. Yeah, um, I'll say. But instead of go through all of the, the 8,000, the 16,000, the 32,000, and then the 64,000 questions, we're just going to skip ahead to the $64,000 yes, question. All right. Because you'll, you'll find out why we skip ahead to the $64,000 question. I'm just going to read a lot of stuff to you, and you're going to get ready. Okay. And this is what they would do in the show, because I watched it, and this was... Insane. I, I I thought that it was nuts. Okay, so your $64,000 question is, Wicked is one of three shows to breach $1 billion on Broadway. What are the other two? Also, Wicked was based on a book written by who? And what was the subtitle of that book? That book was based on the original Wizard of Oz, and, and what was their name? How many Drama Desk Awards did the original show win? Who played Alphaba, the Wizard, and Glinda? There are seven silhouettes on the playbill. What are they? Answer. What the actual heck? (laughs) That is the format that they would read these last four questions in. Just question after question after question. And they had a guy who was, like, handing people... He was handing the contestants things through the isolation booth. Like, the one that I watched with 
with Virgil, they hand him a map and ask him, what trail is this? Where does it start? Where does it end? Why does it end there? No, they no, hand, no. They hand him a piece of paper that has um, different cattle brand um, symbols on it, and he had to say what the brand meant, what town it was from, and like stuff like that, and like who, who was the person who made the brand. And he had three different brands he had to identify. That sounds ridiculous. Yeah, and they played him a song, and he had to identify different people in the song, and the people in the song were spoken about by pseudonyms, and he had to say the real name of the people that are being talked about. Oh, my goodness. And you had no idea what was going in what any of your category was going to be, right? No, no, you knew. Oh, It was always, so, like, this is all Broadway. He only had questions about the Wild West. And so when he, before the show started, did he know what it would be? We'll get back to that. Okay. Oh, okay. Because, like, if it were something that you that someone were like, your category, category is going to be, like, French history or, like, musicals or something like that, you could prep But for to it. be handed images of cattle brands... That's a little excessive, yeah. ...from ranches in the area of the map you're given at random? That's nuts. Yeah. That's, that's excessive. Yeah. It was crazy. Yeah. So yeah, what are your answers? Alright, so the first one was the highest grossing of the Wicked, right? There are three shows to breach one billion, including Wicked. What are the other two? Fan of the Opera. Correct. That's been, like, the longest running show ever. Yep. Um, and I'm gonna say The Lion King. It is The Lion King. Heck yes! There you go. I remember reading something about that recently. Yep. So, Wicked was based on a book written by who? I own this book. It's on our bookshelf. Anthony Gregory? One of those names is right, and it's not in the right spot. Oh, Gregory Maguire. Yes. <laughs> what was the subtitle of that book? Oh, dear. Um, it was called Wicked, colon, something else. Uh, can, can I go look at my bookshelf? <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, the Life and Times of the Wicked Witch of the West. Correct. Who wrote the original Wizard of Oz? Bomb. Um, that is his last name. Is it E-L? L is in there. Oh. L. Frank Bomb. That's it. Yep. <laughs> L. Frank Bomb. Who played Alphaba, the Wizard, and Glinda. In the original? Yes. I was going to say, can I just rattle off any actor and actress that I've ever played no. them? <laughs> um, Idina Menzel was Alphaba. Yep. <clears throat> Kristen Chenoweth was uh, Linda. Yep. And the wizard was... Oh, shit. I've never heard this name, <laughs> so That's good luck. fine. <laughs> um, Joel Grey. Yes. Because Leo Norbert Butts was um, the original... Butts. Butts um, was the original Fiero. I am a fount of useless knowledge. <laughs> <laughs> okay, last question that, that was asked there is, there are seven silhouettes on the playbill. What are they? Uh, you know, when I went, I'm pretty sure there weren't that many silhouettes. It doesn't seem like there are, <laughs> but there are. Because it's, um, it's a, it's alphabet. Yep. And Glinda, and Glinda's yep. whispering in Alphaba's ear. Yep. There are some flying monkeys. How many? Th- three? Three? No, three. four. 
Four. Yeah. When I looked at it earlier, there were four right there. Oh. Yep. Um. And then the last one. Oh, you're looking at this one. Yep. No, no, no. There was a different one. My God, there's even a different three. one. Yeah, because it's it's been running so long. There are numerous playbills. Why, why do they keep doing that? Because they can. The one on their Wikipedia page is the one I was looking at. It would be really boring otherwise. <laughs> um. No, not you. Well, anyways, the one that you haven't guessed yet is on all of them. I'm pretty sure. Is, is it the little um image of her? The Wicked Witch flying on her thingy? Yes. Okay. That's the eye and Wicked. Yes. Yes, it is. So yeah, um, you had to answer 100% of all of that to get the last question right. Jesus. If you missed anything, you didn't get the 64,000. And you had to do that from... That's yeah, that the one. one. Yep. Yeah. You had to do that from 8K, 16K, 32K, and 64K. That's ridiculous. Yeah. And so, like, the last... Four questions were all like that? The last four questions were all that long. Oh my goodness. And involved in multiple steps. Oh my goodness. Because some of that I knew. Some of it I had to look up. So, <laughs> you're probably wondering how anyone ever won with that many Let questions. Let me guess, no one ever won. No people won. Jeez. And it was really easy. Oh. Because you remember how people could pick their own topics and how you mentioned how convenient oh. it was that that Virgil got to do Wild West when his family history was, was all Wild Wyatt West. Herb, right. And how I picked Broadway for you when mm. you really like a lot of Broadway. I do like Broadway. So in the 1950s, there was the quiz show scandals. Uh-oh. Where every, almost every quiz show that existed in that time was caught cheating and giving answers to all of their contestants. Oh, oops. And in this case of the $64,000 question, the correct answers would be given to the people that the guy who owned the show liked. Oh, So if, if he decided he liked a contestant after X amount of time, then he would give them the answers to the hard questions. And all of, and if you noticed, all of the first few questions I gave you were all really low balls and really yes, easy, and you yeah. can kind of answer them quick. Right, I, I knew. They intentionally the did yeah. that to get people close to the 512, so that it was more exciting, because a lot of things were happening. Right. Because <clears throat> um, they yeah. still do that with, like, who wants to be a millionaire. Like, generally speaking, like, the, whenever I've watched it... Oh, yeah, they the do first, low balls. The first questions are fairly easy because they want to get to the, like, climax. Yeah. There. So the other thing that made it easy for cheating is that these last questions, because they're so long and involve so many answers, they only ever had their contestants answer one question a week. So they had an entire week to memorize the answers that they were given so that they could answer the questions fast to make it more exciting for the audience who would think, wow, they make so, they, these people are so smart. They can answer so many things. All right. And the host would have prep time with the, with the contestants and it was all wow, a so big they, show. It was really just staged essentially. Yeah. yeah. So if, if you made it past um, the easy mm-hmm. questions and the producers liked you, who, um, kind of side note, was Revlon. Revlon was the oh. sponsor of the whole thing. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Hmm. 
Um, and people who turned it down were like Chrysler and um, uh, there were a few other like big names that like turned down to sponsor the show, but Mm -hmm. Revlon ended up sponsoring it and they did live advertisements during the show. Oh, interesting. Kind of like in the style of like Price of Right at this point. So like, you wouldn't, you wouldn't be bidding or ask questions about anything that they were doing, but the host would just after a question be like, and for the ladies out there, and then they would have just an entire commercial just acted out, and they hired, like, a famous actress to, like, wow. do all the Revlon commercials. And Wow. Yeah. That's dedication. Yeah, so it was pretty neat. And then last note about the show is, as you can tell by the format, like we talked about, it's really similar to a lot of other shows. Since then, a lot of shows have tried to mimic this one after it was shut down by the scandal. The first show that tried to mimic it was the one thousand, <laughs> the $128 question. <laughs> Uh, so they just doubled the prizes. But the cool tidbit about that show is that its second host was none other than Alex Trebek. Oh! Oh, that's neat! Yeah, leading into Jeopardy. Yeah! Well, that's all I got for that. Wow. Oddly related to what you just did. Nice. For reference, listeners, we didn't share our topics with each other. Nope. Oh, no. Okay, so... All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna let you pick. Okay. How's that sound? Yep. All right. So, um, on June fourth, nineteen seventeen, the first Pulitzer Prize was awarded. Pulitzer and Hearst were the um, newspaper magnates who caused the Newsies strike, mm-hmm. which the musical that I Newsies is based off of. So there's that. Or we can talk about Donald Duck. Uh, let's do Newsies, because I also picked Donald Duck. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> oh I was going to say, or we can see who does it better. <laughs> uh, we'll get back to that. <laughs> okay. All right. So, okay. Um, so, on uh, June 4th, 1917, the first Pulitzer Prize is awarded. Um, so, the, as some people may know, the Pulitzer Prize is an award for achievements in newspaper, magazine, online journalism, literature, and musical composition in the United States. Um, and it was established with a monetary bequeath, bequeathment to Columbia University by publisher Joseph Pulitzer, who was, fun fact, an immigrant to the United States. Hmm. I don't remember from where, but I do remember that he was an immigrant. <laughs> so the prizes are awarded yearly in 21 categories. 20 of those categories, um, the winner receives a certificate and a $15,000 cash award which was increased from 10000 in 2017. However, the winner of the public service category of the journalism competition gets a gold medal. Huh. Yeah. And like, is it because it's public service they assume you don't need money? Or, or well, what? Well, I mean, it was probably a real gold medal back in those days. Probably. Probably now it's like a gold slightly plated yeah gold colored gold plated -plated. mostly zinc yeah um so yeah so money or gold medal Uh you take the pick which category you go for um so the recipients are chosen by a board of 19 people um which usually are media um, executives columnists major editors um and then academics and people from the arts Uh, but it also includes the president of columbia university and the Dean of the Columbia University Graduate School on German Journalism. Um, so those two are always included, um, whoever they are. Um, and then I guess it's 17 other people. And then there's the one person who um, is like the, um, 
the like picker or whatever. He's it's someone who's not affiliated with Columbia, but is like the like kind of in charge. Yeah. Um, there have been several controversies regarding um, the awardees, um, including calls for revocations of awards. In uh, 1941, the advisory board recommended um, For Whom the Bell Tolls by Ernest Hemingway. Um, but when Columbia president asked them to reconsider, citing the association that could occur between the university and the novel's frank sexual content, um, he convinced the board not to award the prize for a novel that year. Hmm. So that year there wasn't one that was awarded to novels because they couldn't give it to For Whom the Bell Tolls. Too risque. <laughs> risque, yes. Um, and then in 2010, the Drama Prize was awarded t- to the Tony-winning musical Next to Normal, even though it wasn't among the jury-provided nominees. That's interesting. Yeah, so either they, it didn't, so what I could find didn't say whether or not they didn't suggest anything, or if it was just out of left field. Like, there were several that were suggested, and they went, no, we don't like any of those, we're going with this one. Hmm. <clears throat> Who knows? Probably I could if I had put in, if I had done more digging, but I was like, I don't know which one I'm going to use, so. Um, and that leads me to the real reason I wanted to talk about this particular fact, which is Newsies. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, both the musical and the movie. <laughs> you knew that, right? Yes. That there was a movie? Okay. Yes. Um, so, uh, Joseph Pulitzer and William Randall, Randolph Hearst um, who was the owner of the New York Journal, and then Pulitzer was the owner of the New York World, um, raised the cost of the new Newsboys bundles of papers per 100 without the benefit of being able to sell back the leftover newspapers, um, which caused the Newsboys, who sold the papers, to go on strike. They demonstrated across the Brooklyn Bridge, effectively stopping traffic, and caused Pulitzer's New York World to decrease its circulation from 360,000 papers sold per day to 125,000 for two weeks. Yeah, wow. So they did some pretty good damage for a bunch of kids. Um, they didn't get the newspapers to lower the price, but they were able to ensure that the papers offered a full buyback to sellers, um, which increased the amount of money that Newsies received for their work. So they were able to buy their, you know, 100 papers for 60 cents and then ensure that if they didn't sell, you know, those last 10, they didn't eat the, the margin there. Mm-hmm. Um, which, considering a lot of these kids were effectively homeless... That was really important. Yeah. <laughs> um, interestingly, this pre- this strike predated most child labor laws in the U.S. Uh, mainly for the U.S., there's the Fair Labor Standards Act of 1938, which prohibits most employment of minors in, uh, um, in quotations, oppressive child labor and limits the work hours of those under certain ages. <clears throat> um, my fun fact for the day, not really a fun fact, is that um, the art- Article 19 of the U.N., um, convention on the rights of the child, which provides for the protected protection of children in and out of the home, has been signed and ratified by 196 members of the UN, hmm. except for the US. Hmm. Yep. <clears throat> so there's that fun that fun fact for the day. Classic <laughs> US. <laughs> yes. Well, so what I was looking at is that they signed it, but they didn't ratify it. Ah. Um, technicalities. Technicality. So, uh, apparently, and I didn't look into exact, like, exactly what the, um, convention on the rights of the child does beyond general protection, like, leaving protection. So, like, I know it covers you can't, like, execute a child, so, like, no capital punishment, 
Um, there are some other restrictions on what you can and cannot do with your children. Um, and apparently what I, what I was reading is that, um, a lot of people were worried that said protections would unfairly discriminate against homeschooling. Oh. And I, I couldn't really figure out how that worked. Um, there was a, there was another reason and it was, um, something to the effect of, um, certain factions believe that a religious upbringing is, is important. Um, and that, that should be something that is taught to all children. Hmm. Um, so there was a weird, so my, my, from what I can understand is that it seems that this, um, doesn't include like religious overtones to it and that there are a lot of factions that believe that, um, it should. And that's why it was signed and never ratified. Um, Obama said that Obama called it a, um, like, a um, an embarrassment that they hadn't, that we hadn't ratified it yet, but he also never brought it before Congress either, presumably because he, he probably knew it wasn't going to, wasn't going to go through. So, um, so there's that, (laughs) um, so the Newsies, uh, were a huge, a really big deal considering that it was one of the first major movements for child labor and it was started and run by children. Yeah. Which was really cool. That is really Um, cool. The music is phenomenal in the show. (laughs) The amount of times I've come home from work and you're watching it again (laughs) um, would definitely lead to believe that. What gets me is that I listen to it in the car all the time and you just don't ride in my car enough to know that I've been listening to it. (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. I figure. Um, (laughs) Yeah. So uh, it's really good. Love it. Also, I just read on Facebook two like this afternoon that the uh the actress who played um the the Pulitzer's daughter, um, who's a journalist who like covers yep. the newsy strike, um, is expecting her first child. Aww. And I think that's adorable. She also is married to the person I saw on the national tour of a gentleman's guide to love and murder. So I'm just over here with my head mildly exploding because this is one of the coolest things I think I've ever heard. (laughs) (laughs) You're crazy. (laughs) Yes, well. (laughs) But Newsies is one of my favorite musicals. Partially because Alan Menken does the music. Yeah. Because Little Mermaid. Yeah. Which is my all-time favorite Disney movie, so. Which I'm sure we'll talk about some point. (laughs) Oh, heck yes. When that rolls around, trust me. And more dragon conspiracies. And more dragon conspiracies. <laughs> Anyways, that's uh, going to be our show. So, yeah, you can find us on Facebook at Halfwit History, on Twitter at Halfwit History. Uh, we do have a Patreon, but don't flatter us yet. <laughs> Let's wait till we get a few more episodes. <laughs> I was going to say, let's make us earn it first. <laughs> yeah, make us earn it first. Uh, also, Halfwit History. Um, and our website is halfwit-history.com. So halfwit hyphen history. And then our email is halfwitpod at gmail.com. If anyone listening has any suggestions for any weeks coming up as what you would like us to cover, um, we can definitely give it a consideration or maybe even just a quick shout out. Yeah. Oh, I have a really quick thing. Um, Halfwit is spelled without a hyphen in between half and wit. So all one word, halfwit. Yes. H-A-L-F-W-I-T dash H. I-S-T-O-R-Y dot com. Yep. All right. So let's end with the fact that we both picked up at the same time, which is Donald Duck. I have like two pages on him. Holy cow. Okay. (laughs) 
<laughs> I only grabbed the date. Um, oh, I'm a loser. That's fine. <laughs> I got really excited. So June 9th, 1934, Donald Duck makes his first film appearance in The Little Wise Hen. You got those backwards. The Wise Little Hen. The Wise Little Hen. I'm not a wise little hen. No. <laughs> um, which was a short by Walt Disney. Um, and I watched it today. Oh, you did? <laughs> yep. It's only a little over seven minutes long. Oh. Um, it was part of, um, oh, what was that called? It was the, the melodies, the, it was a, a series of shorts. Oh, Do you have yes. that written down? Um, no, I don't have that written down. Oh my God. Um, I have to look that up. Yes, you do. We're going to splice this in. That's fine. Um, while he's looking that up, um, Donald's first book appearance was in The Adventures of Mickey Mouse, which was published in 1931. So it only took three years to get him from book to show, or to to movie? Show? Movie. movie? Show? movie? Well, it was, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Close enough. And he has appeared in more films than any other Disney character. Yep, Donald Duck was popular. Yep, and he's the most published comic book comic book character in the world outside of the superhero genre. Hmm. Yeah. yeah. I have all sorts of fun little facts here. Yeah. I just my first introduction to Donald Duck was probably Donald Duck in Mathland. Oh my. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> um my favorite um, my favorite Donald Duck, I think, movie is probably The Three Musketeers. Oh, absolutely. With him and Mickey and Goofy. Yes. The Three Musketeers is one of my, like, obsessive historical, like, stories. Like, Robin Hood, King Arthur, and The Three Musketeers. I think I've read almost everything I could get my hands on when I was younger on those three things. And I've watched every movie except for, like, the two most recent Robin Hood movies. I've watched everything. I've even I even watched the super old Robin Hood where it was the Saxons and the Normans, uh, mm-hmm. nor, like Norman Normans. Is that right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, and like Robin's a Saxon and the invading people are Normans, and he gets to keep his. It's super old, like old. <laughs> uh, best Robin Hood. The fox. Uh, duh. Yes. <laughs> The Fox from uh, Disney. Also another Mel Brooks callback since we talked about the producers oh, from no. Robin Hood Men in Tights. <laughs> yes, which arguably Mel Brooks' best work. <laughs> yes. Call a locksmith. Her <laughs> chastity belt. <laughs> yep. Anyways, uh, so Donald Duck's only line in The Little Wise Hen is, Oh, I have a bellyache. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> Oh no! Um, for reference, <laughs> the the short is about a uh, mother hen with her chicks who has a lot of corn and wants to go plant corn in her field. Um, and all the little chicks come along to help her, and she goes to her neighbors to ask them for help. The first one is Peter Pig, who also goes, "Oh, oh no, I have a belly ache," and then walks off behind his shed, only to when she leaves, pop out behind the shed and wink at the audience. <laughs> Um, and then the second house that she approaches is of Donald Duck, and he's on his boat, and there's a little sailor jig that plays. That sounds about right. Um, and he comes out to greet the the hen, and uh, she asks him to help plant the corn, and he goes, oh, 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 my tummy. I have a tummy ache. <laughs> now, real question. Can you do a Donald Duck voice? I was going to say we end with who can either say that line or Thunderga better <laughs> as Donald Duck. Hold up. 
I have one really last uh, quick thing there. So uh, the originator of the Donald Duck character was Clarence Nash. And he um, developed this sound by forcing the air through the mouth using the muscles of the cheek rather than from your lungs like you do in typical speech. So I have absolutely no idea how this is going to play out. But uh, apparently he originally developed the voice as that of a nervous baby goat. But then Walt Disney interpreted interpreted it as sounding like a duck, and it became the voice for Donald Duck. <laughs> Very cool. All right, so which one do you want to say? Do you want to say, oh, my tummy hurts, or do you want to say, Thundaga? Uh, none of the above. Too late. Oh, no, you go first, because I can't. Oh, no, maybe I should go first. No. Mm. Gotta, we got to warm up those, uh, those duck muscles. <laughs> <laughs> I can't do that. I can't talk like that. <laughs> this is gonna be. <laughs> I can make that noise. I can't talk with that noise. <laughs> I can't even make that noise. So you're like ten gotta, steps ahead of me. You gotta try. Uh, pff, nope, that's not it. <laughs> <laughs> it's really hard to try and make that voice, like facial movement, when you're laughing. I don't even know how you're doing that. <laughs> I can't even talk when I try and do it. <laughs> You're spitting everywhere. <laughs> that was close enough. <laughs> Come on, you make a noise. No, yes. I think that's what you should end. <laughs> You described how to do it. I know. Mu- cheek I, muscle. The whole blow time air. I was reading about it, I was like, I don't know how the fuck they do that. Cheek tighten. <laughs> Just yell like Donald heal me and I'll try and say <laughs> Donald <something> heal me. <laughs> <laughs> Alright. Well <clears throat> that was uh something all right anyway (laughs) join us next week i guess and if we haven't terrified you away with no sound effects (laughs) 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 (laugh